Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is the word of the Lord. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, this is no myth. This is no once a year, let's think about it sort of thing. This is uh, truth, and this is our only hope of salvation. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we think upon this word and that you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So imagine a world where everybody is a slave to the forces of darkness. demons and the devil, and of sin. Um, At every point, that man who's that slave of darkness must obey his sinful appetites and, and must follow a master who desires nothing but his ultimate misery and and uses that influence to lead him to to sin. Um This is the work of the devil. The devil does not make people wicked. He just finds them born in sin and he works upon their sinful nature. Right? He obtains an influence. He becomes the father of the wicked. The devil inflames and influences and pushes people toward that which they have by birth, which is sin, which is a sinful nature. Um, and, and, And the evil one this is sort of the understatement of the year, is a very bad master. A very bad master to have. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.26, unbelievers are trapped in the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You know, it's fine and dandy to think of Jesus and... um, and his good influence and the warmth of, of nativity scenes and whatnot, but we forget about the context. What in, what in the world sense does it make for Jesus, the Son of God, to die if there's no problem? Right? The problem is, is that we are, we are held captive <clears throat> by the devil to do his will. The will of the devil is always awful. The goal of the will of the devil is fully and forcefully pointed toward rejecting God. He hates God. He hates God, and if he delights in anything, it's when others hate God too. 
So everything the devil inclines a person toward is, is to that one end. It is always and only evil. That's what he points people toward. Jesus made the bondage of unbelievers to Satan very clear when he spoke to those who were particularly under the bondage of Satan, when he spoke to the Pharisees of his day. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not come, not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He who is of God hears the words of God, and for this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Remember, that is Jesus speaking to those Pharisees. You're not of God, you're of your father, the devil. This bondage to sin and Satan is the natural state, not just of the Pharisees, but of every man ever born. Every person ever born. Unless we blow by this just as some simple archaism or old-fashioned thoughts, the Scriptures teach us, the Word of God teaches us that Satan is a personal, real being, right, who prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He, he was there really historically in real time when Adam led mankind into sin. Okay, and he knows full well that man is working with, the devil knows full well that man is working with the handicap of his deadness and sin. If Satan is capable of joy, and I don't think he is, but if he were capable of joy, he rejoiced on that day when, God, when mankind rejected God's law and fell very hard. And the work of the devil has been going on since that day. And prince of the power of the air, as he is called in Ephesians, is a schemer. He's a schemer. He's a liar, it says in John 8. He's a murderer, John 8 again. The one who snatches the word away from some, it says in Luke 8. He's an enemy of all righteousness. Acts 13. He's one who had the power of death. Hebrews 2. He's a destroyer. 1 Peter 5. He's a sinner from the beginning. 1 John 3. He's the one who entered Judas, the betrayer of the Lord. That's Luke 22. And one who disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11. That is the father, a wicked father who only desires the defilement of his children. That is the father of all who are outside of Jesus Christ. Now, as materialists, it seems crazy to speak that way, doesn't it? This is all just old-fashioned, makes no sense. How can people who don't know Jesus be under the control of the evil one? Well, we have a tendency to think in that there are three kingdoms in this world, right? We have a tendency to think there are three kingdoms. The kingdom of Satan where really evil people live, right? Um, men who, who tattoo uh, swastikas on their forehead. Um, you know, that's, that's who's of the kingdom of Satan. And then there's the kingdom of, of neither. Um, neither Satan nor Jesus rules there. It's, um, it's where nice people live. 
You know, it, it's, it's where everybody who's just, you know, not evil, not really, really great live. It's where most people live, we think. And then there's the kingdom of Jesus where people who go to church live, right? And, and um, <clears throat> this three-kingdom view, uh, Scripture does not leave any room for that, that neutral in-the-middle kingdom, that limbo state, right? It teaches us that either a man is for Jesus Christ or he is against Jesus Christ. Uh, It teaches us this about the realms outside of Jesus Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's that's a nickname for the evil one, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. There is no neutral ground of people waiting to make a decision. There's no neutral ground like that. There are those who have the devil as their father and those who have Jesus Christ as their father. To have the devil as your father, to live under the authority of darkness is awful. It's awful. But remember, the devil is a schemer. right? He's a liar. He's a schemer. Those who live under the authority of the devil, of, of, who live in the domain of darkness, as it's called in our passage, and the power of the devil, may actually lead some morally exemplary lives. They may give all their money away. They may be sweet and kind and grandmotherly and yet be a resident in this land of darkness. Sometimes the devil deceives a person by making him think that that his civility will save him, right? But civility is insufficient for salvation. You know, I fear, I fear that this is one of the great deceptions of Satan in our churches today. Satan deceives by allowing his children to put on a thin veneer of morality, of niceness, And Satan, that wicked father, that abuser of abusers, will laugh as all those nice people are cast into a lake of fire on the last day. Satan, that hater of God's word, that hater of his own children, think of that. He's a father and he hates his children and wants to see them suffer. That hater of his own children laughs when, you know, little Aunt Gertrude gets offended by the preacher being so negative all the time and go you know going he goes to all those nasty passages of the word of god and satan laughs and laughs and laughs when his children whom he hates are more and more malnourished and tortured and depressed and forsaken and proud and nice and clean and presentable haters of god I've shared this before, but I'll share it again because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make the birth of Jesus Christ make sense to you. This is, this is Edward's sermon on heaven, but in the middle of it, of course, he, he talks about hell um, because you, you have to paint the contrast. In a portion of that sermon, he contrasts hell with heaven, hell, that place reserved for all those who reject Jesus Christ, 
whether devils or men, is ground zero of this domain of darkness that we've read about in Colossians. Um, Here's a bit of, of Edward's description. Hell is a world of hatred where there is no love, which is the world to which all who are in a Christless state properly belong. This last is the world where God manifests his displeasure and wrath as in heaven he manifests his love. Everything in hell is hateful. There is not one solitary object there that is not odious and detestable, horrid and hateful. There is no person or thing to be seen there that is lovely. Nothing that is pure or holy holy or pleasant, but everything abominable and odious. There are no beings there but devils and damned spirits that are like devils. Hell is, as it were, a vast den of poisonous hissing serpents, the old serpent who is the devil and Satan, and with him all his hateful brood. The devils in hell will hate damned souls. They hated, they hated them while in this world, and therefore it was with such subtlety and temptations they sought their ruin. They thirsted for the blood of their souls because they hated them. They longed to get them in their power to torment them. They watched them as a roaring lion does his prey because they hated them. Therefore they flew upon their souls like hell hounds as soon as ever they were parted from their bodies full of eagerness to torment them. And now they have them in their power. They will spend eternity in tormenting them with the utmost strength and cruelty that devils are capable of. They are, as it were, continually and eternally tearing these poor damned souls that are in their hands. And these latter will not only be hated and tormented by devils, but they will have no love or pity one towards another, but will be like devils one to another and will to their utmost torment each other, being like brands in the fire, each of which helps to burn the others. In hell, all those principles will reign in rage that are contrary to love without any restraining grace to keep them within bounds. Here will be unrestrained pride, unrestrained malice, unrestrained envy, unrestrained revenge and contention in all its fury and without ends, never knowing peace. The miserable inhabitants will bite and devour one another as well as be enemies to God and Christ and holy beings, those who in their wickedness on earth were companions together and had a sort of carnal friendship one for another, will here have no appearance of fellowship, but perfect and continual and undisguised hatred will exist between them. As on earth they promoted each other's sins, so now in hell they will promote each other's punishment. On earth they are the instruments of undoing each other's souls, There they are preoccupied in blowing up the fires of each other's lusts, and now they will blow forever the fires of each other's torments. They ruined one another in sinning, setting bad examples to each other, poisoning each other by wicked talk, and now they will be as much engaged in tormenting as once they were in tempting and corrupting each other. It's depressing, isn't it? Merry Christmas. Here's a dose of reality. This is, as Paul puts it in his letter to the Colossians, the domain of darkness. The place where Satan, that evil father, deceives and hates his children. The place where those who have not known new birth in Jesus Christ currently have a substantial foretaste. And then... 
and then should come crashing in, those who know Jesus Christ should come crashing in those two words from Ephesians, but God, but God, right? God did not allow such such an arrangement to go on for his children. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For day in the city of David there has been born for you a... A what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Right? That backdrop, that backdrop of the the evil that was rampant and is rampant in the world. And then God breaking in with the announcement of the angel and saying, No, no, there's a different arrangement through Jesus Christ. There's a different arrangement for my children There has been born for you a Savior. And in Galatians we read this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. And he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. For those who have been born again, they have been rescued from all that domain, all that, that, that terrible darkness, that domain of the evil one. Their old father, their father by nature, has lost his rights, completely lost his rights, lost that relationship. And the Almighty Father of Heaven has adopted them, and the love of that father is more profoundly powerful than the evil of the evil one. The born again are no longer hated by their master, but they are truly loved. They are no longer deceived and blinded, but they have the truth and now see. They are no longer always an only influence toward wickedness, but they are declared to be and being made righteous. Their father has rescued them from All the awful darkness, all that awful sin, all that deception, all the evil world, all the damnation and destruction, all of which they previously lived in, perhaps unknowingly, and loved. And you who have been born again, who have a new birth certificate with God listed as your father, not the evil one, have been placed in a new kingdom under a new ruler the kingdom of his beloved son, the passage says. The kingdom out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that kingdom is, uh, whereas the evil domain was a kingdom of everlasting darkness, this is a kingdom of everlasting glory and light. Outside of this good kingdom is only an ever misery. From the last chapter of the Bible, we're given a vision 
of this great and everlasting distinction. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Outside of the kingdom. But inside are those who what? Who are sinless? <laughs> Certainly not. They have been made holy by dipping their robes in the blood of the crucified Lord. Those who love Jesus Christ, who have been given a new heart that pulses, pulses now with love toward God, living in this good, gracious, godly, protected, heavenly, loving, warm, blessed, peaceful kingdom where God says to all of his children, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful slave, well done. Can you imagine receiving a well done from God Almighty? They will everlastingly look upon the scars that Jesus has upon his body. And every time they do, a recurring but always fresh thought will fill their minds um, with the words of the Father, forgiven, redeemed, precious, mine. That child is mine. You have a Sabbath rest ahead of you. Your home is in Zion. Your home is in Zion. Psalm 65 says, There will be silence before you in praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Psalm 87 says this, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this one was born there. But of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the people. This one was born there. Then those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, All of my springs of joy are in you. Hebrews 12 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. This work of Jesus, not, now, I I thought it was great that we had, Mark chapter 14 today, as we think um, and virtually forced to think about the incarnation, but we read of Jesus' end, of his arrest. Um, And this work of Jesus, and when I say that, I'm not merely speaking of his actual birth, but the work that necessitated his birth, the work he came to do, which was 
not merely to be born. That was just a means to an end, right? The work was to die. The work was to be a propitiation and a sacrifice for sins. That is, you know, this work of Jesus is what we remember and celebrate on Christmas. You know, it's not just precious little babies. It's baby born to grow to be a man to keep the law, to die, to suffer the wrath of God, to be your salvation and your redemption. Now think of this passage, and this is where I'll close. Think of... Think of how this brings it all together. And there's a way that the devil is, is described in this that we don't think of often. This is from Hebrews chapter 2. It says this, and, and it speaks, it brings together both the incarnation, it brings together his death, and it brings together where the devil fits into that. So it's a nice compact summary of what I've just preached. A few verses in Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to this. Therefore, since the children... That's those who believe. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Right? Do you see how it all comes together there? He was born a man because he had to be like us so that he could represent us to God and that he, God could punish a man, right? And, and, and he took away from the devil the power of death. He rendered, rendered the devil powerless. And so think on that. Think on that as we celebrate Christmas. The birth is a means to an end. The redemption of you from your sins. This is the Christian faith. This is the Christian faith.